Welcome everybody to This Week in Mormons. Once again, it's Matt and Melissa. Hello. We're going to do Yeah, we're excited to do this again. This is going to be our year in review episode. So we're going to go through the stories once a month, the top story for each month in 2022. But before we get to that, I have a little bit of a, I don't know, a correction from before. Do you remember, Melissa, how um, last time we talked, I said that Temple Square was going to be kind of lame because of all the construction? I do. I remember you saying that. Yes. Okay. So, okay? so we went there and I, I was totally wrong. Um, so it is true. There's a lot of construction and you cannot go from like the parking garage over at city Creek. You can't walk directly through temple square to get over to the conference center. But what they have this year that totally blew my mind is you go into the tabernacle and, um, I oftentimes when I sat in the tabernacle and I look at the ceiling, I thought, Oh, that'd be a great screen to project a show onto. And it turns the out ceiling of the tabernacle. Yeah. So you sit down in the tabernacle ceiling. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they, have, they have the organ pipes there. And then what they do is above the pipes, there's this animated um, story of the nativity. So like back in the day, you would go stand out in the cold and they would do that thing uh, where they would be like voices would come over and you'd see these voices and the lights. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And everybody would gather around and watch the lights show the different part of the nativity. Now they have like this animated digital, it's not a cartoon, but it's like this animated, like it's drawings kind of projection on the screen and it tells the whole story. And when we were there, it was, the audio was in Spanish, but they had subtitles in English and Spanish and some Asian character language. I didn't know what it was. Huh. And so it's like every 20 minutes or so, you just go into the tabernacle, you sit down, and you can watch it on the big screen. Huh. That See? sounds pretty cool. Sounds better than actually what it used to be where you were just freezing cold outside watching and waiting for it to start. Right. So, and I don't know how long they're going to keep it up. Like when they're done with construction, maybe they won't do that anymore. Huh. So people can just come in and out of the tabernacle at their own pace. And every 20 minutes, they're restarting this nativity thing. Yeah. And in fact, on the screen, it, it does a countdown to how long it will be until the next show. Huh. So you can go in, you can get your photos with the tabernacle choir organ or the whatever that is in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And then all of the um, stuff they used to have in the North Visitor Center like there was a whole bunch of like displays and things. They've moved those all over to the conference center and the sister missionaries at Temple Square are all in the conference center now. And so you can go do a lot more in the conference center than you used to be able to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Matthew, I appreciate your, your repentant retraction (laughs) of your previous judgmental ways. Yes. I appreciate it. (laughs) You know, um, me and my husband, we went down to Temple Square this weekend too. I, I didn't do like the whole tour of it. Um, we were just going down for the Tabernacle Choir's big Christmas concert that they did. We were able to get tickets to one of those three nights that they did it. Um, so, um, you know, it was one of those things where you just kind of hurry and park, rush in, watch the show and leave because it was it, it was cold and we did not stay in like toward the Temple Square or anything like that. But we did have a very special treat as we were standing in line waiting to get in. Sister missionaries caroling. <laughs> they were so cute. They were just like a few groups of them standing around and they would just carol. And then, you know, they'd move on to another group and sing you a Christmas song. It was super cute. You know, you could tell in a way that they had probably just come up with it. Like, this is the way that we're going to entertain people at Temple Square tonight while it's crowded. Uh-huh. And, um, and you know, I, I did think, you know, I wonder if anybody can just come down here and carol because, you know, it could it could be a fun event. But, yeah, that was really cool. And the um, Tabernacle Choir's concert was outstanding as usual. It was really lovely. You You go in there and you cannot... Like you think you're watching it on TV. Like the sound is so perfect and beautiful that you forget like this is live and they are creating every sound you're hearing right now live because it just, it's so overwhelmingly perfect and beautiful. Anyways, it was fun. Who were the guests? 
I can't pronounce their names, Matthew. How dare you? How dare you put me on the spot like that? I'm just wondering. I, I watched one. It's like the girl from she did like Mulan, I think, for the Disney oh, okay. movie. She's very good. She um she spoke about her Filipino heritage and sang a Filipino Christmas song. It was lovely. Wow. Um, yeah, I can't remember their names, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm not a super fan. It's okay. Next year it'll be on PBS, and I will right. watch it. Yeah. Okay, so um, good catching up with you. Um, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that Temple Square can shine once more for both of us. Um, I like this, review. Yeah, yeah, I like this year in review idea. Just um, kind of going through each month and doing what we decided was the top story in Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints news for that month. And for January, um, we picked a story about the um, Tonga volcano. Um, there was a huge um, volcanic eruption in Tonga um, in January. Um, I don't know how many of you remember this. Um, I I barely remember it, but um, it was a, a ginormous eruption, and it was very devastating to the members there. Um, just kind of as a as a quick background, why this has to do with our church is um, Tonga. There in Tonga, there are many many members of the church. Um, let's see, 2016 census said about 19% of the entire island belongs to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then also, like, of all the countries in the world, Tonga has the largest percentage of Latter-day Saints, so 63%. So it is a it is a very highly um, LDS nation. Um, but what I liked um, about this story is um, how um, the members of the church really um, banded together in this devastating volcano and really um, came together to love each other, to support each other, um, and to help each other with cleanup. Not just each other, I would say, but the entire, um, the entire country of Tonga. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's a couple of stories about um, um, our church sending so much um, aid to the country to help them through the crisis. Um, and there was one thing that I particularly liked, and it was um, the first presidency um, right in the midst, um, in the wake of the volcano. They sent a really nice letter to be read over the pulpit there in Tonga. And I just wanted to read a little bit of that. I think it's so sweet. So it's just to the members of the church in Tonga. And it just starts with how we love you with a big exclamation point. Can you just imagine that being read in sacrament meeting? I think it's, I think it's such a sweet way to start a, a congregational letter. So how we love you, your deep and abiding faith in our heavenly father and his beloved son, Jesus Christ is known and admired the world over as you recover from the devastating volcanic eruption and subsequent tsunami and all else you have endured and are enduring, please know that your fellow saints and other people of faith and goodwill around the world are praying for you. I just think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's true. So let me tell you what I remember from that. I remember yeah. that Tonga had completely shut its borders because they were afraid of COVID overwhelming their medical system. Oh, and I then, forgot about that. Yeah. And, and then when this happened, there was concern that, um, that they were going to somehow get a whole bunch of COVID as people came in with aid and things like that. And so I think that was another reason why it was a big deal that the church sent in so much aid because there was a lot of concern about like COVID and things like that. And, and will they be able to stay safe um, health wise as they're recovering? Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel really bad that I didn't keep up on that story to find out the answer to that question. If any of you, <laughs> if any of you listeners know what happened there, uh, go ahead to the Facebook page or uh, you can do comments on this podcast on Facebook and let us know what happened because I think that that's an important end to the story. Like they were, they were so afraid and it, it seems to me from afar that things got better, but I don't know if it actually was okay. Yeah. Um, that's a good point, Matt. I, I think whenever I think of the Tongan people, I do think of them as such a faithful people. You know what I mean? Um, and and I'm sure that there were a lot of stories this year that weren't covered in major news. Um, but yeah, as happens every year, I'm sure there's a lot of people who had heart heartbreak and and devastation in different ways. And um, and I you know I hope that they're able to look at something like this and gain you know peace and comfort and also you know 
um, advice maybe about how to go through a trial like this. And it really is by continuing to be faithful, continuing to be kind and, and yeah, turning to Jesus. And, and then also I'm so happy to be a part of a church where we're able to help devastating situations in such a large scale. Like, I think it's so cool that we're, we're able to know that, um, that we can send help to the Tongan people and, and that it will be significant and, and that it will actually be, you know, do some good. I think it's cool. Yeah. Well, so the reason that I didn't follow the end of the Tonga story is because the next story is fe- in February, um, the church started uh, moving missionaries out of Ukraine uh, and started moving missionaries out of Russia. And they closed the temple um, in February because Russia invaded Ukraine in February of tw- uh, February 24th. So, you know, Ukraine is near and dear to my heart. I served a mission. I was going to say, tell us a little bit about that because, yeah, Ukraine is near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Yeah, I served a mission in Donetsk uh, a long time ago, 95. Mm-hmm. And um, so Donetsk was invaded in 2014. And so in a lot of ways, the war in Ukraine has been going on for me for a long time. But I have a friend uh, who lived in the Crimean Peninsula that when Russia invaded in 2014. And he has since uh, found his way to Utah. So he lives in Utah now. I was talking to him recently about this period of time. And he said, you know, when I lived in the Crimean Peninsula, I noticed that first the church moved the missionaries out. And then I noticed that the United States moved people out of the embassy. And he's like, I, I had seen what a Russian invasion of Ukraine looks like. So in hmm. February this time around, when I saw the, the temple was going to be closed, when I saw missionaries getting moved out, I said to my family, it looks like Russia is going to invade. And if you recall, a lot of people were like, no, they might re- invade, they might not. So, right. he, so he took his family, they took, they each of them took two bags and they said, we're going to go on a vacation to Turkey. And they were hoping to just be there for two weeks. They only had enough stuff packed for two weeks. So then they went to Turkey and within a week, Russia had invaded and they haven't been back to their home since. Um, all wow. of them they were just living for a long time in what they had in their uh, two bags that they brought with them to, to Turkey. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, you know, at the time it was heartbreaking. It still is heartbreaking for me to um, see what's happening in Ukraine. Um, yeah. I, I, like everybody else, feared that Russia was going to completely destroy Ukraine so quickly and the resilience of the Ukrainian people has just thrilled me and made me so happy. But, um, but yeah. Well, I was going to say you have, um, some of your kids have Ukrainian heritage, right? Yeah. My oldest is from Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if, um, you know, in your family, you had conversations, you know, about just Ukrainian people specifically or, or those kind of things. Yeah, so um, so my oldest is from Ukraine and my two youngest are from Russia. And uh-huh. you know, we've always um, had love in our hearts for both countries. Uh-huh. Uh, and we keep a lot of Ukrainian traditions alive in our family. And I just love the Ukrainian people like they're my own family. Yeah. So this was nothing just short of devastating. Like to see people you love and places you know, um, see tanks rolling in those places on the news. I, I, there's no way to describe how much that hurts and how sad that is and how scary that is. However, like the response of our members of our church and, and Europeans and the Americans around the world is just so amazing. The way that people stepped up. I have a a good friend in great Britain who was going to do like an Airbnb and they said, no, they're going to do like an Airbnb and and a trailer or something like that. And they said, no, we're going to save this space for refugees and, they found, they went through the church to find a way to get some refugees from Ukraine to Great Britain. Like, that's a story that could be retold over and over and over again of people yeah. sacrificing space and time to help people in need. Huh. So, um, I, I mean, I, I do think that this is a story that's ongoing. And and it, it is kind of, to me, in a way, a lot of us here in the United States have sort of forgotten about it. We've moved on, you know. I wonder if you have any thoughts on like the church where like in your family has members of the church in both countries and how they're continuing to respond and, and, and what that might look like in the future. 
Um, I think that that would be too much for a year-end review to talk about right now. <laughs> we'll talk more about it some other time. Yeah. It's too much. But you agree, it's difficult to balance the needs of members on two sides of a war. Yes, it is. Incredibly difficult. Yeah. But um, I know some of the people that have been called to area presidencies and as mission presidents in that area, and I can see how there's the hand of the Lord is there in preparing mm-hmm. people in the church who understand the needs of members of our church, both in Russia and in Ukraine and in the Baltic states and in all those areas that are uh, worried about Russia right now, that the Lord has people in place in his church that can help take care of all of their needs. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Matt. Um, Okay, let's move on to March. Uh, March is potentially my favorite story of all time um, because it is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints removed the mask requirements in temples. Hallelujah, finally. It happened in March. Um, Listen, I was never a good mask wearer. Um, Matt, you're laughing. Um, I was a terrible mask wearer. Um, As a uh, school teacher, I was required to wear a mask and teach for a good year and a half, and it was horrendously awful. Also, my daughter got married in the middle of COVID, and while there were beautiful things about like when we, when she got married in the temple, literally the entire temple was closed except for to our little family and her marriage. Like it was actually pretty awesome. We went to the Brigham city temple. The doors were all closed. They let just us and our little group in. It was very intimate. It was very private, but we all had to wear masks inside the ceiling room. And And again, I'm so grateful that we were able to do it, but it was the worst to not be able to see people smiling at each other, to not be able to have that full facial expression. It is the worst. And did I take my mask off and have it like hanging off my ear? Like as soon as the matron walked out, for sure I didn't. And then I hurried and put it back on as soon as they came in. Like. It was, it was the worst. Um, listen, I understand um, the church is uh, why they had the mask mandate, but I could not be more happy that it has been removed. Yeah. So, so my son also got sealed during the pandemic. That's and then right. uh, my daughter went through the temple before her mission during the pandemic. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, like if, if you gave me the choice, wear a mask in the temple and have the temple all to yourself or mask free and have all the people there. I would go back to keep the temple all to myself with masks on. It's a pretty neat feeling. Yeah. 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 And also not a lot of workers there, right? There's like just two or three workers there to make sure the ordinances get done. Like mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. thought it was, I thought it was great. And uh, I, I kind of liked the masks. Uh, I was never one of those that wanted to take it off all the time, but I didn't have to wear it all that often. So I guess it's always a novelty for me to wear a mask. Mm, I see. I see. Well, um, listen, you're still free to wear the mask in the temple whenever you want to. Um, (laughs) I will not stop you, Um, but it is no longer required. And, and just in general, um, churches have, um, you know, in this year returned to basically normal. Like you can still make an, an appointment to go to the temple, but you don't have to. And, um, and yeah, um, more people are able to be in each session. So, so things have basically returned to normal, basically. Yeah. So that's March's story. In April, there, there's two stories related to media. The first is that Andrew Garfield's Under the Banner of Heaven was released on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And everyone who wanted to know about that could, could hear all about that and whether or not good members of the church eat French fries or something like that. And at the same time, the producers of The Chosen felt that it was important to let everyone know that no, The Chosen is not produced by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are not an LDS show. <laughs> right. Did you know? Did you ever see the Left Behind series back in the day? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Is that yeah. Chad D- Daybell? No, no, no. Left Behind you know was huge. Called left Behind? Uh, I, I don't keep up on Chad Day Bill fiction. Whatever. Left Behind was a big hit at all the Christian bookstores, and they did a TV series with Kirk Cameron in it. And the person who did Left Behind 
his son is the one who did the chosen. So that's oh. like a big deal for evangelicals. And, right. and even there was even a little phrase in the chosen in the third season of the chosen that's actually spoken in the book of Mormon. And the, they, the producers had to make sure to come out and say, the fact that that phrase is also in the Book of Mormon is complete coincidence. We're not right. in that church. We're we haven't read church. the Book of Mormon. Thank you. <laughs> Even is what they said. Uh, sorry, we just lost you for a little bit there, Melissa. That's okay. I lost you too. Yeah, I was just saying like, even they were like, not only is it not from the Book of Mormon, also we haven't even read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> we don't even Nothing. know. It's coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> if they were Donald Trump, they'd say the Book of Mormon is copying us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, and, but I do think it's interesting how many um, things there are in the media that are negative about our church. For some reason, um, it's okay to be mean or to be uh, historically inaccurate or to be sensational about our yeah. church in ways that it's not okay to do that about other churches. Yeah, so it's that's true. An inter- April of 2022 just reminded me of that. Do you want to know why I think that is? Is yeah. because we don't push back very hard. You know, we don't say, um, "Hey, quit being prejudiced against us," and we don't say like. Um, like we're, we're too focused on being loving and being inclusive, which are all great things, but we don't push back hard enough. And I think that's why it kind of makes us bigger targets. Well, and even think about how many people, members of the church, like watch these shows and are, are like <laughs> big audience for them, you know? Yeah. Well, the church took out an ad in the book of Mormon, the musical, the Book of Mormon, and there were people that joined the church because they went to that musical and saw the ad and listened to the yeah. missionaries. And so, like, like if the Book of Mormon, the musical, had been about any other church, there would be more outrage than there was from members of our church. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can we circle back? Have you watched The Chosen? Because members of the church love The Chosen, me included. I love this series. Yeah, I'm aware of this. Um, I, in full disclosure, I really tried to watch episode one, but I only made it about 15 minutes in, and I was like, "This just is. I'm not the target audience of the chosen." But based oh, yeah. on testimony meeting in my ward, there are lots of members of the church that are the target audience of the chosen, and it was filmed in the church's studio, so like yeah. a lot of it looks familiar to people in our church. Yeah. No, Matt, you need to give it another try. And you're right. We do have way too many testimonies about The Chosen. <laughs> um, just yeah. this last weekend, I saw the, the, the Chosen that's out in movie theaters. So it's the um, season three. Um, it's out in theaters right now before it comes out. So good. Like really, really good. I just think it has a great mix of humor. And I love the way that um, Christ is portrayed I, I think it's fantastic, but I've never borne my testimony about it. Not yet. Not yet. So, so I don't read a lot of books. Most of what I read is nonfiction stuff. So uh-huh. I don't have these experiences very often where I read a book and then it's turned into a movie. And then I get mad about how the book, is, the movie isn't like the book. But uh-huh. all, a lot of these movies are feel like that to me where I'm like, that's not how I picture Jesus in my head. That's not how I picture uh-huh. it in my head. And I don't want you putting those images in my head because I want it to be my experience, not your experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure, that's fair. I mean, you're wrong, but that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's jump to May. May's biggest story was the Washington, D.C. temple reopening slash open house. This was a huge story for a lot of months. Um, You ever been to the Washington, D.C. temple? Yes, I love it. Yeah, I've, um, I've been there once too, and I've definitely driven by a few times. Um, yeah, this was very exciting for members of the church out there because it had been closed for so long, but also just because of how many people were excited to come see the temple. And so people who've driven past the temple for literally decades now have the opportunity to go inside. And members of the church have the opportunity to share it with people that they hadn't been able to share it with before. So a really big deal. I think they were over at at last count, you know, when the open house finally closed over 250,000 visitors to the open house. So that's a quarter million people 
which is just, I mean, one city, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So my favorite thing about the Washington DC temple has always been, it's the only temple I'm aware of that you go through the recommend desk and then there's this long walkway and it has glass uh, windows along this walkway. So from the outside, they'll keep those windows open outside. It's the only temple I'm aware of where you can, from the outside, look inside and see inside the temple on the other side of the recommend desk. All of the yeah. other temples, you can't really see that area. So I yeah. like that about the DC temple. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, and yeah, there were so many, because it's in Washington, DC, so many um, leaders of the nation that were able to go to the open house too. And I, I think it was a great opportunity to just kind of, um, you know, present ourselves in the way that we want to present ourselves as opposed to, you know, how the movies want to present ourselves, for example. Yeah. Yeah. They also had one in Japan around the same time that was similarly um, well attended and did a great job for public relations and such. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So the, the big story for June is that there were, is a drought in Utah and not a lot of water. And so, okay, but not just in Utah, but you know, in the Western United States. Yeah. There there's, yeah, there's a drought. And, and the church, um, said they're going to do their part to help out with the drought. And so they announced an effort to reduce water at meeting houses and temples. And so, you know, it, it used to be, you know, people would be limited in how, when they could water their lawns and people would have maybe ugly looking grass and things like that. But you'd drive by a meeting house and it would look so perfect. And right. uh, I remember this summer that I would drive by meeting houses and they easily had the ugliest lawns in the neighborhood. Like They, they really did. They weren't watering the grass, right? And, yeah. And I mean, I think this is, I think this is, you're right. Like um, we do a lot of boating in our family. And um, so sometimes what we do is um, like when we're traveling far, like for example, if we went to Lake Mead, which is in Nevada, you know, we always have like a pullover stop before we, um, before we load the boat for the weekend and we'll stop and get groceries or something. And a lot of times we have to like pull over the boat and park it somewhere while we, while we go load up on everything. And almost always the place we pick to park it is a church, right? Because there's usually always a church and the parking lots are empty. And yeah, so just time after time after time, we would just see these, um, yeah, these brown lawns, these, um, not watered areas, which again, like that's fine. Like for sure we should do our part. Um, if this is something that's going to continue, I'd love to see us make an effort towards zero scaping, you know, so that it can still be pretty, um, <laughs> and water friendly. Like that'd be nice too. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I think that'd be great projects for, you know, wards to come together and, and let's, let's, you know, over the spring and summer, let's, let's turn these into more zero scape. I don't know. Like, have you ever actually used your church grass for anything? When you have church meetings out on the lawn, you have that's to. That's true. When we have like a Sunday school lesson outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, our our ward building has a field that we'll use for like young men's activities to play like kickball or football or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do you actually see it used for that? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 I feel like we have a couple of in, in our city, a couple of warts that have, you know, big fields like that. Mm-hmm. But probably only one or two of them get used. Um, but it, it does look nice and, and it is a good place for families and neighborhoods to gather and, and do that kind of a thing. Anyways, um, it's it's good to be um, conscious of our environment. And, and I think that was a big story. It doesn't, I don't know if that was the biggest story Matt in June or if we're glossing over another one intentionally (laughs) well so (laughs) well I'll move to another big story that I think is big news is the FSY conferences uh, began this year the the youth in our stake were able to go to an FSY conference two of my kids went to an FSY conference for their first time in the past just for a second let's explain what FSY is yeah so FSY is like, we think we talk about it like it's a new thing in the United States because it is new to us, but the church has been doing this kind of thing globally where they gather the youth together for a big conference. But the way I explain FSY to people in Utah and Idaho is it's like EFY 
only the church puts it on and everyone can afford to go. It doesn't cost a whole lot of money. So it's, it's like EFY for everyone. Um, but the, the young people spend a week at a college or university dorm and they have church classes in the morning and they have activities in the evening and they have dances. And everyone I talked to had at least one member of the gen, young, young men or young women's general board attend their FSY session at some point. Oh, really? Uh, uh-huh. And they have counselors. So college kids will come and they'll mentor the young kids and teach them like they have devotionals in the morning. They're set up into these groups and uh, it's just like EFY. And for, so again, it's somebody spoke about this in general conference uh, described it, but I, I found it to be universally true with every young person I talked to the first day. They're like, I don't want to go to a church camp. This sounds so awful. Yeah. By Saturday, they didn't want to come home. And I'm not joking. Every single one of them, I would say to them, so some people describe this as a life-changing experience. What would you say? And they all say, it was life-changing for me. It changed my life. So FSY for the strength of youth. Um, I, I did happen to um, happen upon a camp happening. It was the first week that FSY was going on. And because I'm a student government advisor as part of my job, I was at one of the universities that was also hosting FSYs and we were there for our student government leadership camp. Um, So I was there with a bunch of high schoolers that weren't part of FSY, but there were tons of other teenagers all over campus doing FSY, um, you know, and it was, um, they did look, they did look a little, um, bored at first. I will agree. And I kept thinking like a a week is a really long time for, for teenagers to be doing this every single day. Um, and I did have a chance. I ran into a couple of people on campus that I knew that were part of hosting FSY and they were all kind of like, yeah, it's our first week. It's going okay. There's a lot of kinks to work out. Um, but by later in the summer, so then when those same student government kids actually had a chance to go to their own FSYs and I would ask them like, what was it like? How did it go? Same thing. Like it was so fun. It was so good. And and I think like with anything, you're going to get out of it, what you put into it and what you want to get out of it. So did a lot of them just want to get out of it? Like new, new girls to date? Absolutely. And did they get that? They for sure did. Is that valuable for teenagers in our church? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great thing. Uh, did your boys go to the same FSY? No, one went to BYU and one went to University of Utah. Uh-huh. Um, but so they they split our stake. And so our kids get to go again next year to FSY. Oh, okay. For a new stake. But this time they've been told they can only go to BYU-Idaho or to Logan, to Utah State. They don't, they're trying to consolidate people to the regions where they, they go close to home. Keep them more local or mm-hmm. is it a... Is it a financial thing or is it, do you know? I think that it's about keeping people close to home and not having them travel a long ways to go to things. Were your boys encouraged to go with the rest of the youth in your ward or is that not how it works? We talked about it, but it's almost impossible to make that happen. You can like request a roommate and you can request a session, but there are so many people in each session. There really is no way to keep the ward together or even a stake together. Okay. And, you know, personally, I think that they're better off not doing this because now my kids, they're texting, they're like, they have these group messages with kids from FSY and there's kids in Harriman and there's kids in American Fork and kids all over the state of Utah. And I I think it's better. It helps them broad and see like more people than who they normally see. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Huh? Hey, so when I was 14 years old, um, Brad Wilcox put on a thing like FSY at BYU. It was called Polish with Pleasure. That's what it was called. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, for me, it was life-changing. And yeah. I know that Brad Wilcox this year has taken heat for, for a variety of things, but if I were to try and put the credit for the success of FSY on anyone, I would, I would imagine, I don't have any direct knowledge, but I would imagine Brad Wilcox has a lot to do with that because yeah. he really does know how to organize these things and create yeah. experiences for youth that are life-changing. Yeah, I would, ag- I would agree 100%. Um, I didn't go to Polish with Pleasure, <laughs> Matthew, but I went, to, um, I went to Education Week 
which was at the BYU campus. And they had at that, that time, I don't know if they still do, but they had classes that were uh, specifically for teens. And mm-hmm. same thing. Um, there was a lot of great teachers there. I remember Brad Wilcox being one of the teachers even back then. But yeah, made a lot of friendships that lasted and, and helped keep me strong throughout my youth. So I do think FSY in general is good because it's giving that opportunity to everyone regardless of their financial situation. And, and we have kids in my ward that are barely hanging on to the church and have rough family situations and don't have the money to go to something like EFY. And those kids went to FSY and literally life-changing for them. So I, yeah. it's a, I think to me, FSY is a huge deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, um, so it's something you get to go to every other year is kind of the way it works. Yeah, every other year your stake gets to go. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, that was July. In August, there was a huge story. Um, It was the um, sexual abuse um, story that came out from the AP. Um, I think that we have covered it on this podcast in depth by people who know a lot about it. And it's been covered really, really well already. Um, So me and you aren't going to delve into that, Matt. Um, But we did want to acknowledge that that was a big thing that happened this year. Um, it, ha- it had to do with the helpline and and reporting abuse and all of that. I think in the coming year we'll see um, we'll see more stories come from that. Um, maybe adjustments made to how that works. But um, what we're going to call the biggest story in August is actually um, the tithing settlement changes. Um, the church came out in August and they said that um, we're making changes to tithing settlement, and it will not be called tithing settlement anymore. It will be called tithing declaration and it's still an opportunity for you to declare your tithing faithfulness is how they said it um and then they shifted things that you could start doing tithing settlement earlier um so um we went to tithing declaration this year it was exactly the same as tithing settlement i don't know if you had that experience matt was it highly (laughs) different or rebranded so there's two two changes. One is that they can start it earlier. Yeah. It used to be tithing settlement was you'd go into the bishop and settle your tithing. And um, and so they would try and do it at the end of the year. And they would give you a printout of all of your tithing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the one change is they can do it earlier. The other one is where it's declaration and not settlement means that the bishop has less of a role in challenging you. If you say, like, if... if well, back when I was a bishop, if somebody paid like $10 in tithing and they said to me, that's a full tithe, then there should be some kind of a conversation like, do you understand the law of tithing? Like this suggests that you only earned $100 this year. Mm-hmm. And the church is basically saying, let's not have that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that it, caused, it can cause problems. Um, you can lose your re- temple recommend uh, in the past if you're not a full tithe payer. Like, if somebody comes in and they say, I'm not a full tithe payer, then you have to have a discussion about their temple recommend and all that stuff. And so it's like, let's just sort of get rid of some of the judgment there and just have it be declaration. And yeah, you can start early so that bishops can go to Hawaii for Christmas or something like that. (laughs) So yeah, I did. I did wonder about that. So, you know, whenever I have my temple recommend interview, then I get to just say like, if I pay tithing or not, um, so, um, so that's always been my opportunity to like, that's the only way it's been tied to a temple recommend for me. Um, but, um, this declaring thing, it, it's essentially the same thing, except for you're just not bringing a big check if you didn't pay it all. Is, is that really what you're saying? Well, because they used to always give you the printout of like what you paid in tithes and offerings. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and so you want to have that close to the end of the year so that you can, get all cut up or whatever but yeah it really was there was like a reckoning for a time mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. tithing settlement was like especially back when people pay tithing in kind it was like okay how many cows did you give and how many cows do i see in your field and are mm-hmm. you really paying a full tithe and mm-hmm. so it was, it was much more of a reckoning than it is now and i think it's been gradually informally heading this way for a period of time where it's more about let's just visit with the bishop and get to have some time with the bishop and then just declare our tithing status. Yeah. And I think that we'll just sort of formalize that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I do think most bishops enjoy the opportunity to meet with each member of the ward. Um, it's a it's a good opportunity for that. I know we enjoy having our fifteen minutes with him just to you know just to get to know him a little bit and and check in on things. I I find that good. So yeah, and, and I'm not a bishop anymore, so I don't know if this changed, but. I had to, every member of the ward every year, I had to check a box of their tithing status. Right. Full, partial, or no tithing. And so you spend a lot of time trying to chase down people and say, I need to know your tithing status. I need to know your tithing yeah. status. And if you didn't find out, you know, I had to guess. That is still a thing because um, we went to tithing settlement, but we have um, older um, kids and some of their records are still in our ward, even though they're in college. And the bishop did say like, I have to, you know, I have to declare for them. What do you think they are or, or how do you think they would like to declare or do they want to make an appointment with me to do it on their own? So I think that is a part of the process. Okay. Yeah. Well, so for September, missionary service is kind of, it's, it's back to normal in some ways. In some ways it's yeah. a little bit different. I, I think one thing I would like to highlight is that there's now more missions in Africa than there are in Europe. And they've announced, they've announced more missions in Africa. And uh, our uncle Brian, he's serving in South Africa right now. And he said, yeah. they need so many more missionaries there and so many more senior couples. There's so much missionary work in Africa right now that there's just not enough people to do all the missionary work. Huh. Well, yeah, um, there are a lot more missions worldwide. Um, in September, the church put out just like a map that shows you all of the missions you know, and, and how many there are in each area. And yes, it is, it is fascinating. But I think the other thing that's going on with missions is that it seems like this, where you do an at-home MTC for two weeks or so before you go out to serve, it kind of, you know, it's kind of left over from the COVID mission procedures, but it seems like that's going to stay that two weeks of at-home missionary training center. You sent out a missionary this year. Is that kind of what you what you think is going to stick or is that what you guys did? Yeah. So for me, I thought it, I thought it was the coolest thing ever because uh, our daughters, it was about two weeks that she did home MTC. So first of all, your home becomes an MTC for a little while and you get to have that spirit in your home that they get at an MTC. So that's the first thing, like as a family, it was amazing for us. Our daughter would do missionary lessons like before lunch and then like on zoom or something or mm-hmm, on her on own zoom. on zoom. Um, she'd do missionary study with her companion. Um, and then after lunch do it again and then have dinner and then she'd do it again. And so there was just so much she had to share with us about things she was learning in the MTC. And, but she's also been set apart as a missionary. And so she's changing like as a parent, it's the coolest thing in the world to see your child become a missionary and normal in the past you drop them off at the mtc and that all happens at the mtc but you really can see that in your child them becoming a missionary then when they go to the mtc they already know their mtc district and they already know their companion so like when you take them to the mtc there's none of this like missionaries crying and saying oh i'm going to miss you so much i can't believe i'm going on a mission they've already made that transition and they're all like wanting to run away from their parents. Like everyone goes to the Provo temple to take their pictures and stuff on the day you drop them off. And so you bump into people and stuff there. But then when it's your time to go to the MTC, you walk down to the MTC, maybe you drive and then you're in this garage and then your, your missionary leaves, takes their bags and they're off and you can hug them. But the kids are almost all the missionaries are sort of like pushing their parents away. Like I'm ready to go. I'm done. Uh-huh. With they've already like, they've already made that transition before they get to the MTC. So I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, that's fun. And so do you think this two-week thing is going to stay? I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine why they... I mean, maybe they'll, they'll make some changes in the future. But from an MTC perspective, it makes a lot of sense. From a parent sending kids off to the MTC, it makes a lot of sense. And, and then add to that that now they can talk to their parents once a week on like social media like it's a whole new world for missionary service. And it, I think yeah. it's great. it involves the family way more into the missionary's life and brings a spirit into the home life that I don't know that people got before. Yeah, that's exciting. I do think there's, there are some things that can be awkward about the home MTC and, and I haven't had a missionary, but 
but we had a couple of friends um, who um, came up here to Cache Valley to Utah State for college and parents live far away and put in their mission papers and then they're they're leaving from Logan. So they're not leaving from their home state. And so um, just because financially it's hard to travel back home and then back here to go to the MTC, right? Yeah. Um, and so um, we had a couple we knew that were like, yeah, I got to do a home MTC. I don't know where I'm going to do it at. Like, I don't have a home base here where I can do it at. Um, and we were able to make accommodations for them, like within our ward and, you know, and find them a companion. And, and I'm sure that that's doable too. But, but I think there probably are a few situations where like maybe your, your parents aren't, your family's not members of the church and where it could be a little bit difficult. But, but yeah, it sounds like overall, it's a really fun experience. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So October um, is when we got information about the new for the strength of youth pamphlet. This was a huge story. I was so excited when I heard this come out. I just thought it was so smart. Um, So basically for the strength of youth has been out for a long time. Um, We had it when we were teenagers, didn't we, Matt? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think I can still quote a few of the odd lines, a few of the odd things that um, were allowed and weren't allowed. <laughs> yeah, well, and words that I didn't know what they meant, right? Like necking and petting. I was like, I don't, what is that talking about? I don't know about? what that is, but I know I'm not supposed to neck and pet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in general conference, um, the new guide is still called for the strength of youth, but for the strength of youth, a guide for making choices. And, um, I, it's just more about, um, having, teaching the youth to have an individual relationship with the savior and to make choices that are best for themselves based on inspiration and based on, um, their personal, who they are as a person and who they want to be. And so, um, it's kind of like, what would Jesus do in a way, but it's, it's very personal and, and I'm, I'm so super excited about it. All of the youth that I've worked with and talked to, um, they just, they love it. Like it's, it's so much more the way that we're supposed to be teaching in our church. Right. And, um, and it's, it's just, it, it gives them the freedom so that when they do make a good choice, they get the benefit of that. They feel good about that, you know? Um, and, and then I just, I, I do think that there's been a couple of youth cause I teach Sunday school to the 17, 18 year olds. And, and there's a few that are like, oh, I liked it better when it just said exactly what I could do and exactly what I couldn't do, you know? Um, but I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just do whatever my mom says. <laughs> so I mean, I think there's a little bit of that too. I think overall this change has been a lot harder for parents than it has been for youth. What do you think, Maddie? Yeah. Um, so I, I liken it to when they got rid of scouting, right? Like with my oldest son, we said, you can't get your driver's license until you get your Eagle Scout award. And then when the church changed away from that, I didn't know what to do with my 16 and 15 year old. I'm like, Oh no, now I have to think for myself. What a (laughs) difficult thing to do. And I do think it is right. So it doesn't say a specific thing about dating. It doesn't say specific. What age you have to be to start dating. Yeah. And, and it's hard because you have two two teenagers that are very close to the same age, and maybe one of them is ready to start dating and one of them isn't. And I, I do think it's hard for parents. It is. It's a lot easier when they just tell you the, the answers to the questions. But I do think it's also in line with what President Nelson has been trying to teach us, which is learn to receive personal revelation and mm-hmm. don't rely on the church to tell you the answers to everything. Now, that doesn't mean you have to pray about everything. But it does mean that um, on these bigger questions, and especially young people, it's so. I think that we get in so much trouble as members of the church when kids come to us with questions and we tell them the answers that we've received, as mm. if that's the right answer. And uh-huh. I think that this is trying to help everybody say, listen, the right answer is the answer that Heavenly Father gives you. And if right. you have a question... Learn to take your questions to the Lord in prayer and in scripture, and he'll help you find the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, as I've been teaching Sunday school and it's like my fourth year starting to teach. So it's been a long time and I I love teenagers and I love teaching teenagers Sunday school. 
Um, but in my time as a Sunday school teacher, I've had multiple partners come and go. And it's interesting because people of our generation in the church were used to like, here's the lesson, here's what you're supposed to learn, here's what's right, and here's what's wrong. And that's not the model at all anymore. The model is, let's have a discussion. And let's, what do you think? And um, to give so much more power over to the students, even if they're teenagers, that's awesome. And so there's been a lot of lessons where it's like, you know, what do you think about this? And somebody will answer. And everybody's just like, yeah, I guess that's the right answer. And as a teacher, I have to push and I have to be like, okay, does anybody disagree with that? Does anybody have a different viewpoint on that? And they will. They'll have different viewpoints if you let them talk about it. And to give them the ability to see like, guess what? This could be right for this person sitting right next to you. And it, it could be different for you, right? And that is how the gospel of Jesus Christ works, right? Like it's a very individual thing. And so I think as we've been trying to teach them in this new teaching method for the last, you know, four or five years. I know they've been trying to teach in this way in seminary more and more too. It just makes sense that for the strength of youth would follow this same kind of thing. Like you can get revelation and indeed you should because the choices that you make, the consequences are yours, not your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in a similar vein and trying to help people, uh, uh, in, in a similar vein, the story <laughs> in November is the church, uh, put out a statement supporting the Senate bill, uh, the Respect for Marriage Act, which in terms of politics, you know, is less than 10 years ago when the church was uh, opposing um, same-sex marriage as matters of public policy in the United States. And they always said that it was about religious freedom and they felt like this new bill uh, both protected religious freedom and protected the rights of the LGBTQ community in terms of marriage. And so they were supportive of that. But but that doesn't mean that every Republican senator voted for it that was a member of our church. Some members of our church that were senators voted for it and some voted against it. But um, it was just newsworthy that the church had what appeared to most to be a different position on this issue. Well, not only that, but it was a big political statement. And the church does tend to stray from politics um, directly as far as this is what you should vote for. This is what you shouldn't vote for. Um, and, and I don't think that they were specifically saying that, but yeah, this was a big political statement. And, um, and so I, I do think that alone makes it newsworthy. Um, and I, I do think that, um, that it is, it has caused more controversy than I thought it would. Let me say it that way. Yeah. There's a lot of opinions on it. Um, we do live in a world where people are opinionated though, right? So my, my perspective is that, you know, 20 years ago, people would say it's hard to be a good member of the church and a Democrat because the Mm -hmm. church always seemed to be supporting these Republican policies. And I would say in the last five to seven years, uh, it's been harder for Republicans because the church is taking positions on issues that seem to align with the Democrat views on issues. And, um, and I've, I have, it surprises me, some of the, the people that, that say, I have a hard time with the church's position on X, Y, or Z. And more and more, it's Republicans that are saying that to me. And mm-hmm. I just sort of step back and I say, you know what? This is the Lord kind of letting people figure out for themselves, which is more important to you to follow the church, follow the prophet, to see what they're teaching, or is partisanship more important to you? And the, the more that the church is not aligned with a political party or a particular political ideology or political view, but is a church for all people in the world, uh, I think that the better it is for everybody. Yeah, definitely. We are um, presenting ourselves as more of a worldwide church, right, in the political statements that we're making. Um, but I do think that the church has also always been very clear is um, you get to um, make your own decision. You get to vote how you want. And that's never going to affect your temple recommend, right? You get to, we want you to be involved politically. We want you to be involved socially. We want you to be involved in your communities. And whatever that looks like for you is up to you, right? Um, but we're still going to be the voice that declares what we think is moral. And that's always going to be our job as a church. Yeah. 
You know, every every election year around November, you'll hear a statement from the church that says that there is good in both political parties and the church doesn't support any one party over the other. And I think a lot of members of the church, especially in Utah and Idaho, they sort of snicker at that, like, ha, ha, ha. They're just saying that because they have to because of tax status or whatever. They don't uh-huh. really mean that. And I think that, like, more and more, it's like, you know what? There is good in both political parties. And it's okay to be whatever political party you want and to be a good member of the church. Yeah, and I think it's great for all members of the church to feel validated, regardless of where they stand politically, to be like, yes, yeah, you belong here in our church, and thank you for being aware and being politically and socially active. Yeah. Except on Twitter, not on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right, so, what you got for December, Maddie? <laughs> for December, the big story is all of the good that the church has been doing. We'll put the links in the, on the Facebook page and on the podcast. <laughs> you can find the links to these stories. But the church has been donating a lot of money all around the world. They're they're fighting um, polio and tetanus, providing vaccinations. They're planting fruit trees. Uh, they the the church uh, in 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 September made the largest humanitarian donation in church history. They gave it to the United Nations World Food Program. Which is amazing. Yeah, the the church has always said, where we can take care of it, we'll take care of it. But where we can't, we'll partner with other organizations. And the church has done a great job this year in particular of stepping up, or at least maybe just publicizing it more now, but taking care of the people in the world. I think it is impossible for us to know how much good the church does with those church dollars. It's easy for us to complain and say like, oh, they have so much money. They're so rich. They could be doing so much good. Guess what they are? They're doing so much good. And I think sometimes it's not until you have a disaster in your community or a need in your area and the church steps in. Like The church is always the first one there first one with boots on the ground. And it's not just dollars, it's also service. But but particularly with dollars, they are helping all over the world. And and I don't think they publicize it enough, but um but there were definitely like you said some awesome things that the church did this year to just benefit the entire world. And loosely related to charity, this was a story on KSL uh-huh. That, uh, allegedly, I'm not a, a, a tax specialist. Oh, but allegedly. allegedly, according <laughs> to the IRS or this story on KSL, um, genealogy research is now a, a tax deductible donation for charitable causes. So, if you're like spending money on ancestry.com or other things that people spend money on genealogy research, I don't know what it is, but uh, keep those receipts because keep uh, those receipts. They're tax deductible. Gosh, makes me want to start doing genealogy. Consult a tax advisor about that. Because of all the tax (laughs) benefits. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, that is 12 months of a wrap. That's really, really awesome. Um, I think it's just, I, I do think it's fun to look back at the year. There were so many amazing, sad, scary, big things happening and and I I just I think it's fun to look back. I really do. So nice. Um, I did want to share um, just kind of as the end of the year overarching thing. Our awesome prophet, um, President Russell M. Nelson, did send out a message. He sent it to all members of the church via the church email. He sent it out on Instagram. Um, and um, you know, this is just kind of his way is um, to just um, send a cute video and to just share his sweet spirit. But basically his message was um, spread kindness. Like, let's be kind, let's be good to each other. Um, and I just think it was um, just just a sweet and kind and beautiful message. And he said, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's our job to make this world better. Shine your light and be kind. And if you didn't get a chance to see that, you can watch it on YouTube or on um, the church's um, the church's homepage. But um, but I just I love that our prophet is so clearly aware of what's going on in the world and what we need. And his overarching message after looking at the whole world and looking forward of what's to come is: Can we be kind? Let's spread kindness. And I just think it's beautiful. You know, President Nelson in the last general conference talked about how he prays for all of us. And we're constantly on his mind. 
And sometimes you'll hear church leaders say things like, I love you all so much. And you just sort of feel like, do they really? Like, how could they possibly? But I really feel it with President Nelson. I feel like he really does love everybody and really does think about the world all the time and how he can make things better. And I feel that in the messages he shares. Yeah, I do too. So I would... um, we love our listeners. We love, we to love you guys so much. We love you so much. You will not find Melissa on Facebook, but I am no. on Facebook. So we encourage you to subscribe to This Week in Mormons on Facebook. It's This Week in Mormons or Twitter at The Real Twim. Um, I would love to uh, engage in conversation. So any of the stories that are of interest to you, feel free to comment on Facebook and we can have a discussion. Yeah. If you have any kind of like feedback or things you want to tell us, you can always uh, email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com and we would love to hear from you. And Keep things might be slow with thisweekinmormons.com or just this week in Mormons for the next couple of weeks as we celebrate the holidays. But we're planning on coming back with you strong again in January. And um, and we're so happy uh, to keep this franchise going. And we're so grateful to all of you listeners who support the podcast. And we just kind of, we kind of feel excited sharing our lives with you. So thanks so much. Merry Christmas to all of you. Yeah. Good talking to you, Matt.